Welcome to the Girl Dad Show, a professional parenting podcast. Each month, I interview entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals who are balancing parenthood, life, and profession in the hopes to learn what it takes to be an amazing professional parent. Welcome to episode three of the Girl Dad Talks. This is all part of our new uh, way of doing season two. Uh, We're going to be intermixing monologues and me talking to you a little bit about my professional journey as a working parent, in addition to doing our interviews interviews with our wonderful guests. And in continuation from our last talk, I was talking to you guys a lot about um, the move to Austin and why we made that move. And then this desire to basically find ways to increase the amount of time that I spent with my kids. And then how that led to you know me operationalizing my time and figuring out how to achieve those goals. And then that opening up another window to another world where I've met so many people now in Austin um, that are generating um, a lot of passive income or at least semi-passive income and doing it in a way that is very, very attractive to you know my original goal of spending more time with my kids. And although I achieved my first set of goals, you know, the really big conundrum that I was facing, you know, from the last episode was this idea that I achieved the goals of being able to make money when I wanted to, working with who I wanted to, and then also spend time with my kids when I wanted to. And then meeting these people that were basically able to generate income, whether or not they worked. And that just really fascinated me because that felt like it was a... um a level up from my original goal. And then that level up of my original goal led me to needing to make a lot more money to basically start supporting the the build out of buying these assets or investing like they do. And um, the conundrum was now I'm spending more time to do the thing that I wanted to do to begin with, which I already had, so that I can get something a better version of it. I'm not entirely sure if I'm saying this correctly, but uh, go watch episode one and two of the Girl Dad Talk to get the full story of what I'm trying to say, but that's the general recap. But I do want to talk a little bit more about why this is so important to me because I am very fixated on this idea of leveling up my abilities and generating these income sources that can basically s- supplement and possibly replace my main income source up to the point where I could choose to spend as much time as I want with my kids and still be able to afford to live and potentially even provide them, you know, some sort of generational wealth. And I'll go over what, you know, what I think that's good or bad on, because I've been, you know, really wrestling with this concept of like, how much do I want to give my kids and how much do I want to leave with them? And uh, how much do I want them to um, have from what I'm building versus them having to, you know, build it themselves or understand it or learn it and all those things. But we'll talk about that in a future episode, because that's something that I've been really wrestling with a lot as we start to like think about, you know, building a trust and a will and all those things. But um, again, I still feel young and limber, so I'm not too concerned about it. But for today, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the number one thing that I've been working on since last year. And I made this decision to pivot from consulting to really figuring out how to generate passive income or semi-passive income. And one of the biggest things that I learned from interviewing hundreds of people that have been able to navigate this infrastructure and system is that they have a good mix of real estate. Almost every one of them, I'd say the vast majority of them. I mean, there were some that you know got out of real estate, but the vast majority of them still held a significant portion of real estate as part of their passive income sources. And 
I started to investigate real estate very aggressively and started to learn as much as I could, you know, listening and reading bigger pockets, um, interviewing and talking to as many real estate investors as I could, understanding the ecosystem and the landscape and just really getting into it. And one of the key things that I learned over that, you know, five or six month interviewing and discovery process is that there's a million ways to do real estate. And it's very complicated and complex in the sense that, you know, there is um, different reasons and different purposes. There's different types and classes. There's different people in the ecosystem that do different things. And you really have to figure out what your flavor is based on your financial strategy and goals, but also what you personally like to do. And that's kind of the big gist that I got from a lot of these people is that, you know, they went down this road and they started to do things in real estate and they realized that they really like long-term rentals because of X, Y, and Z, or they like short-term rentals because of X, Y, and Z, or they like commercial because of X, Y, and Z. And so um, figuring out what your stick is and what your strategy and what jives with you is like the biggest, biggest lesson that I was given immediately by a lot of these investors, or at least that I culled from the, the, the demographical uh, data that I was documenting from all these interviews. And uh, so I set out a plan to essentially um, try to do as many different types of deals as I could over the next few years. And uh, the second thing that I tried to do was also figure out what was a good number for me to um, achieve for. So, you know, in any good business and any good goal, you want to set a, a, an objective and, and you want to make sure that it's measurable and if possible, time, time, you know, time box it. And so I set an audacious goal of 200 doors in five years. And the math is really um, basic. But the idea behind it is, is that you're going to have some properties that generate more um, than others. And you're going to have some properties that you know generate very little. But on average, I just calculated if I could do $100 in cash flow a month per property, you know, and if I can get to 200 doors, the idea is that, you know, that would, <laughs> that would yield... Um, um, quite a bit of money each month uh, into uh, building this um, passive income stream. And the reason why I got to 200 is that I felt like I wanted to set a really large goal and uh, a really large goal. And it actually started out as like 10. Um, and then that quickly went to 50. And then um, by the uh, by the time I started doing real estate investing, I hit the number 200. Because as you learn more about it, you realize that it's not as um, straightforward cash needed to basically invest and buy these these things. You can actually do a lot of interesting stuff with leverage and debt and financing. And so the more you learn about real estate, the more you realize how uh, the ecosystem works and how you can leverage it to your advantage, the more you realize that it scales exponentially a lot faster in the tail end of things as you start to accumulate more assets. Not to say that it's easy. I, I, I think I'm in the front part of it and it's incredibly challenging. I'm on my fourth deal right now and um, it's, it's so hard. It's very, very challenging. It's very hard. I'm losing a ton of money on it and um, I do plan on making it back because I do feel like the economics make sense and the financials make sense. But for the time being in the short term, it is definitely way beyond my budgeted amount that I had allocated for it. But I will also say that I was able to acquire it with very little cash because I was able to roll over um, a lot purchase that I had and use a 1031 exchange and then use that to, as my down payment to get leverage to take down a bigger home. And so I was able to buy a lake house in Lago Vista here for, you know, a little over $500,000 with um, 
initially very little cash. And then obviously everything went to shit. And so I had to pull in a lot more cash for renovations and, and all sorts of other things that I wasn't calculating. But that's a whole other set of problems, right? But those are things that I'm learning about short-term rentals. The idea behind doing the real estate is that if you can start building out these assets, you know, and, and having these uh, portfolio of homes, you can essentially, um, with certain level of reliability, you know, uh, calculate your passive income flow. And um, you take, you know, you take data from the last, you know, 50, 60 years, and you take data from the local regions, and then you also take into consideration the market and where everything's headed. And you can basically extrapolate that, you know, if there is downturns and upturns and, you know, things go up and down all the time, that over the course of the time, just like, you know, you can kind of hedge the stock market as a, you know, average of, you know, seven to nine percent return, depending on how you calculate it. The same thing with real estate. You can basically calculate that it'll keep increasing in value and appreciation, but definitely even in cash flow. And so uh, I felt like it was a fairly secure bet. But what I really love about real estate is that when you have a bad business venture, you know, you have a idea that you really love and you're passionate about and, you know, you get investments for, or you invest your own money into it. You know, you have a significant chance of failing that business. I mean, the, the failure rate of starting a business is like 95%, right? And so like if 95% of the businesses you try to do fail uh, 95% of the time, you typically end up losing all your money and possibly even going into debt because you're trying to make it work or you're trying to get this last thing in. And so there's a huge significant chance that you'll lose it all, if not more than what you even put in. It's very, very common. When I found out about real estate and I started to understand that, like, you know, if you did come to that point where you started to see it losing money or you started to see it going down, you had the optionality of selling it and recouping even a percentage of your loss. It seemed like a really low-risk, no-brainer uh, opportunity for me. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm, um, you know, like oblivious or naive because I obviously understand that there's a lot more mechanics to this and it's not as, as, not as simple of, of a math equation as that. But I think being an entrepreneur and having started so many businesses, knowing the, the failure rate and, and, and um, knowing that you lose most of your assets and it's hard to like sell off components of your business um, if it's a failure. and and then coming to this business venture where you have the optionality of liquidating 50% of your costs back, it sounded like uh, an amazing thing. And I'm like, why are more entrepreneurs doing this? Everyone should be doing this instead of starting businesses because, you know, your chances of actually recouping your costs are fairly high. Uh, I'm not saying that you're not going to lose money. I'm just saying you're not going to lose all of it and then be in further debt, which is typically what happens when you fail a business of another sort, right? Like a service business or a, or a tech company. And um, anyways, so I, I, that was that, that, that was really, really cool and interesting. But it's also really cool and interesting about real estate is that it's something that can be passed on, passed on to your kids, and then also continue to pay out and help you with uh, appreciation, depreciation, you know, all the tax benefits from it, but also just passive income, just a cash flowing uh, asset, even through your retirement. And what was very attractive to me about that was that I had very, very little um, invested into my uh, retirement. Um, I just was always banking on the fact that, you know, I would, you know, get a lot of money from a startup that I was building or I, I was a part of. And I just kept riding that, you know, Silicon Valley startup train, just hoping for that sunset money. And um, 
and never really took the time to invest in my uh, retirement. And so my retirement fund was pretty small and, and not that it was good or bad. I mean, I think a lot of people don't have a huge retirement either, but uh, and I think statistically speaking, you know, it's getting worse and worse um, with people saving as the generation goes on. But I started to realize that, you know, instead of like trying to, you know, supplement it or like trying to counteract it in the, this late stage and, you know, not not being able to capitalize as much on compounding interest and all those other effects that help your retirement account grow faster over time, sorry, larger over time. I started to get really attracted to the real estate idea of just basically not necessarily needing it as much. So you didn't need a lump of money to draw from because you would have these assets that you could borrow against or refinance that would also be cash flowing and paying you on a monthly basis and also being able to depreciate it because most of those payments, you know, for your mortgage and loan would be write-offs. And so my mind and just my whole world just started opening up to you know, the benefits of how this could counteract in my life and how it could impact, you know, the way that I think and the way that I make money and the way that I operate. And so um, it really seemed like a great idea. And it's even now, I still think it's a great idea. And I, I'm not going to stop. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying it like it's an idea because I'm already like neck deep in it. I'm already on my fourth deal. I did sell one. So now I have three homes, um, but I do uh, have plans to buy an additional one this year. And so I have, um, I bought a lot to hopefully develop on, but I didn't end up developing. Um, I bought two long-term rentals and I just closed on a short-term rental, which I'm hoping to launch by mid-June, uh, which will probably be um, in the past by the time you listen to this. And it'll be very, very successful and already launched with many renters, um, fingers crossed. Um, but the idea is I want to keep doing different types of deals. Uh, and, and trying to figure out what kind of deal um, and style of real estate I like the most. Uh, and then once I figure that out, the idea is then to take the next couple of years and really figure out how to like escalate and expedite the process of acquiring those assets using my current assets as leverage. Um, and I'm not really sure um, how, how best to explain all this stuff. And it's not really that important because I'm not a real estate guru and I'm not here to teach how to do real estate. I think the big thing is I just wanted to like share with you the journey that I'm on and why I'm doing that. Because I think it matches the needs of my life and what I want from my kids and my, um, my family and what I want to be as, from, for, as a dad for my girls. The, the possibility of switching from needing to, you know, rely on a lump sum of money to being able to have assets that continually pay me or at least mitigating some of that, right? So maybe it's half lump sum that I draw from and then half that pays me half. Even that sounds so attractive to me. And then being able to have the optionality of being able to like give something to my kids, you know, when they become of age or if they choose to, you know, become, you know, a starving artist because they want to be passionate about, you know, creating art. And I could basically afford them some level of basic income through, you know, these real estate assets. That is also very interesting to me. I'm not sure if I'll do it, but it's, it's interesting to have the optionality. And um, in, in circumstantially, it's one of the few things that I can do right now to circumvent the fact that I didn't plan really well for my retirement at an early age. And I started saving for my retirement at 40 years old, uh, which is really embarrassing and, and, and late in the game. I know, I know you should shame me, but I was very, very risk tolerant in, in hitting something big with the startup game. But say, Levy, what are you going to do? 
And so circumstantially, given the given the odds that I had stacked against me, this also seemed like a great way to counteract that need to have a large lump sum of money to retire uh, happy and successfully. And so that's why I started uh, this real estate uh, venture, uh, because I'm trying to figure out alternate ways to build something for myself and my family. And it goes back to being able to spend more time with my kids. And I'm not entirely sure how well I'll do with it. And I'm not entirely sure if I'll achieve my goals of 200 doors, but I uh, do want to keep striving for it. Cause just like any other business that you uh, partake in or any kind of a project you take in, you do need to set an audacious goal. You want to set something that is going to challenge you and really make you think and, and try different things that you haven't thought were possible or, or reasonable even. Um, because the reality is, is that all you're really doing is just, you know, avoiding failure by not trying to do something big and great, you know, because the reality is if you try something great, you may end up missing it, but you'll still end up somewhere higher than you would thought if you're trying to be too realistic or um, too conservative. And so that's kind of been my thesis my entire life is just shoot for the stars because failure is a failure. But at least if you, you know, miss the mark on something audacious, you're your end goal will be still very, very high. And so that's the goal and the the dream there. But the entire point of doing it is really to figure out a way to counteract, you know, my lifestyle that I've led so far and be able to, you know, still figure out a way to retire, but also even before retirement, maybe even retire early and or figure out a way to even control more of my time um, to spend with my kids when I want to spend it and do things that I want to do. Uh, the issue with it is that getting it built up does take a lot of capital and it does take a lot of time to learn. And so that's been a big conundrum for me the last year as I started to build out what real estate um, looks like for uh, our family. And I'm hoping that I'm starting to figure it out a little bit better. But um, as soon as I thought I got it down, I, I got this short-term rental just like flip me over and flip me sideways. And it's um, definitely very confusing and I'm learning a lot. And um, I'm very excited about the learnings, but it is definitely not going to plan. And so you just got to keep in mind that these things are constantly, you know, pushing up against your, um, your ability to spend the time that you want, you know, wisely. So anyways, that all to say is that um, I, I just wanted to say that I think it's still a really, really great um, strategy and, and project that I'm embarking on. And I'm happy to share with you guys in more detail um, about each unit and what, what, how it works and how I did it and um, why I did it and what I'm learning from each type of real estate deal that I'll do. Because um, I think that it's really, really interesting asset class. And I think that anybody could do it. Now that I've kind of done a couple, it does. it's not as complicated as I think everyone assumes that it is. Uh, I went into it very apprehensively. It just felt like something rich people do. And it's it's not. It's really, really not. It's much more simpler than you realize. And I think that you just need to get acclimated and hang out with other people that are doing it. So it becomes more normal um, and really figure out like how to um, control control um, how much money you spend and what you want out of it and then time boxing it. Um, and once you can do those things, I think it could really be advantageous to all parents and working parents out there as just another source of income. Um, if you're anything like me, I would say that it's highly recommended. And uh, if you didn't save anything for your uh, for your retirement, I would highly recommend starting to do that now because you can offset you know your lump sum of money that you don't have pretty easily with real estate, in my opinion.
Okay. So I do want to talk a little bit more also about time boxing because I think I talked about this last time, you know, how I was tracking all my hours and I recently stopped um, because I felt like two years of hours tracking was um, really annoying. It was a lot of work and it was kind of a grind, but um, it was very, very beneficial. And then doing this podcast and talking to you guys about it, it makes me realize that I should go back to doing it. And I stopped doing it because I felt like I had a good grasp of how I wanted to allocate my time and why I was doing it. But I, it started to make me realize that the reason why I'm feeling a little bit more lost on what I'm doing and how I'm doing it is because I stopped tracking it. So I'm going to go back to tracking my hours. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about why it was so important to track hours more, you know, for, you know, the, the heart, mind, soul, you know, and all those things. And it does make sense in that area, but also tactically to achieve your goals. Because I think the, the biggest question, not everyone, but like the biggest question people ask me when they do talk to me about all these things that I'm building is, how do you have time for it all? And like, when do you sleep or all those things? And I will say I, I don't sleep that much. So there is that. But I actually don't feel like I'm working much more than, you know, an average entrepreneur will or someone that's working really hard at a high level. Um, I just feel like I got really, really good at time boxing. And so it's this concept of just looking at your hours allocation and, and really dictating both from an input, but also from a manufactured output of what you want to be allocating your time on. So for example, like I'll look at my, you know, I'll look at my week and I'll say like, I want percentage wise to be spending, you know, four to six hours, you know, on real estate. So let's just say five hours to be safe. So I want to spend five hours on real estate. I want to spend, um, and these are real numbers, by the way. Um, I want to spend no more than four hours a week on podcasting. Uh, I want to spend no more than one hour a week on building my software, um, SaaS that, I, that I'm developing, Pip App. Um, please check it out, actually, because it's not going that well. <laughs> but I, I, it was just a test to see if I could build a, a, a SaaS software with one hour a week. And it's very hard. It's not easy. <laughs> but I am constraining myself to that one hour. And I've been pretty good about sticking with that one hour. Um, I try to constrain consulting to 32 hours a week. Um, and then I try to um, time box. Um, gosh, I can't, I'm like blanking here. But basically, the idea is that I have it all, I used to have it all mapped out where I wanted allocations of time spent on different things to basically manufacture or help better manufacture the outcomes that I wanted. <clears throat> that included sleep time, workout time, time with my kids and all those things. I mean, there was a point where I would like literally calculate 30 hours a week with my kids, you know, like whether that was eating with them, playing with them, doing stuff with them, um, you know, whether that's soccer or whatever like that, just making sure I bucketed that time and then, you know, trying to like, trying to like enforce it, right. And trying to make sure I spent that time. And I know it's a really weird, weird way to live your life. And, and it's a really weird way of talking about time with family and kids and, and work and all those things. But it's really um, helped me yield the successes that I've wanted from all the different aspects of my life. And I think it's not necessarily the best way to live, but it is definitely a way to live for a short amount of time to help you optimize, you know, the outputs that you want. And um, the second thing that it does is it also starts to show you over time what activities lead to what results. Because as you start to track, you know, different activities and time spent on different activities, and you start to see better results from different, um, those correlated activities, you'll start to realize what you're naturally good at and where you can, where you can leverage more time in to get more output from. 
Um, and so I highly recommend doing it. And I think I'm going to go back to doing it because over the last month or two, I've started to feel a little bit lost. And I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that like, I'm now just like inputting and kind of reacting to the day versus like on a macro level saying, here's the goal. Here's how I want to, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to achieve. And here's how I want to allocate my time to those goals. And then, um, you know, disciplining myself and holding myself accountable to, you know, those time allotments and then through statistical analysis, reviewing the outputs from that time allocation. The the reason why I will say that I stopped doing it is because we got into a car, my wife got into a car accident in December and we could not find a replacement car. So they had to total the car. The kids are safe. Everyone was fine. Um, but the issue was in January, December, it was virtually impossible to replace this car. It was like new cars were nine months delayed. Um, used cars were like thirty to $40,000 over asking. Um, I'm sorry, new cars uh, that were on the lot, if there were even any on there. And then used cars were like even more expensive. They were even more marked up than new cars. And there was just no stock. And um, we specifically needed something that was um, capable of, you know, taking two kids around and all those other things. So even more fine tuned than that. And so just in the worst peak of like the car stock timing, we needed to purchase a car. We also needed to share a car during that time, deal with the rentals, deal with the insurance. None of the vendors were available for three months. Like in the insurance, it was just a, a weird two, two and a half, three months. It was one of the worst times of my life, I, I would say. Um, because the amount of logistics and communication and trade-offs between Amy and I to make sure the kids were taken care of, they got to school, they got to soccer. Um, we moved things back and forth between, you know, my Prius and this, and then trying to find a rental car was virtually impossible. And I'd have to cancel meetings to go try to like run over to this thing 20 miles away. Cause they said they have one if I went there right now and then I would miss it. And long story short, it was just a really terrible time. And um, I quickly realized that time boxing is good and it's a good activity, but the way that I had time boxed it up to like every aspect of my life didn't allow for life to happen. And I think it allows for life to happen in small instances and you can like, self-correct it and then fill the spots in later on and like kind of soak it all up over the course of the next few weeks. But a big problem, like a car accident, you know, during, you know, you know, a shortage of car suppliers, manufacturers, repair shops, rental cars, all those things just really showed to me that it's virtually impossible to not let life happen. And you can't pre-plan and dictate everything um, in a time box fashion. So uh, that's kind of why I stopped, but now stopping it for five months, it's been like, it's now May and I haven't time boxed in five months and kind of like thinking back on how beneficial it was. Now I'm going to go back to time boxing or at least time tracking, but this time I'm going to go into it with a little bit less scrutiny and, um, uh, like just less. <laughs> so maybe I won't pack in 60 hours of, of work time a week. Right. Or maybe I won't like maximize you know my work time it'll be maybe 30 hours of work time and then i'll try to fit everything into that smaller amount of time so that there's a little more cushion on either end to basically soak in life um, and then if i do more work great if i don't then i won't uh, but the reality is that i always try to allocate time for my kids and you know spending time with them you know whether that's at dinner or practice or on the weekends and as weird as that sounded you know blocking off 32 hours a week for my kids I think was actually really helpful. I mean, it's not that like, it, I know there's quality matters more than time, but 
I, I look back at the last five months and I'm actually pretty sure I spent less time with them than I did previously when I was tracking my time. And maybe that's just because of the way my brain works and the way that I operate, but um, I'm not really happy with that. And so I think I'm going to go back to time boxing and time tracking, especially if it's just for the fact that I want to make sure that I'm protecting a certain amount of time for my kids. And, and I want it to be very significant. I want it to like, when I look at the report and I see all the different things color coded, I want my time with my kids to be the, the, the biggest color. And, um, if that's what it takes for me to do that, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, obviously I'll do my best to make sure that it's qualitative as well. So for those of you listening, saying it's not, a, it's not the amount of time, it's the quality of time. I get it. I get it. You know, you don't need to be pedantic to me. I will definitely work on the quality of the time as well, but the quantity also means a lot to me. And so, um, that's kind of where I'm at with my journey on parenthood and why I started doing real estate and, um, all for the same goals. It's just a different version of that main first version of the goal. So hopefully this talk was helpful for you. I'd love to hear what you think. If you have any questions or thoughts, please comment below or give me an email or text me or um, ask me anything. I'm, I'm, I don't even really know where I'm going with these uh, talks. I'm just kind of talking freely with no agenda or script. So uh, I'd love your participation in helping me um, unpack what I could talk about and what you're interested in learning more on. Thanks for listening. And I hope to see you next time. Bye. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Girl Dad Show. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please take a moment to give us a review on your podcast service. These reviews help us grow a lot more than you know.